Like you have to take time to really understand fundamentally what you value and what your yeah, virtues are. Why? Because then that value system becomes the filter through which you can make a lot of your life choices and you can protect yourself from a lot of like negative influences. And it's the same way when you're when you're going about building your academy. You've got to understand first what you value so that you can develop a vision and then you can move forward from there. Welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with me, Thomas Clifford, and Peter McHugh. This is a Kokinos production. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Kiyoshi. How are you? Ready to rock? Yes, sir. All right, let's get to it. So, uh, rumor has it that you uh, broke the 400 mark at your academy. Is that true? It's true. We did on Saturday. It was... uh... Man, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it it sounds like a momentous occasion, but I'm so dead set on that Dream 500 that uh, it was just another day in the office. But I will say this. I went back at one of my journals from 2017, uh-huh. which I highly recommend people keep a journal because it's kind of like the secret to gratitude, right? Like we hit 400 and I was excited. It's a nice number, but it wasn't until I saw the goals I set for myself in 2017 where I really got that like aha moment. Like we really accomplished a lot. Yes. Because yes. My, my goal in 2017 was like 300 students and we, uh-huh. we blew right past that. So it feels good. It feels good. Awesome. But 500 your number. 500 is yeah. what you're looking for. Yeah. I'll be honest. Anything less is just, you know, us missing the mark. Okay. All right. So, so how important though, is it that you've uh, clearly declared that, that quantifiable, uh, that number that you can circle, underline, asterisk, and that uh, that your whole staff and your students are also becoming aware of that 500 number. Has that proven to be powerful? It's huge. It's huge. It might be. It might be among the most important pieces of advice you've ever given me because I'll tell you this: we went into like the very beginning of summer, like early June hoping setting a goal of hitting 400 students before uh back to school and mm-hmm. we hit it we hit it what a month and a half early more than a month and a half early Fantastic. and i i think i think that's a function of that group effort like getting everybody wrapping their head around that that one goal it just changes everybody's behavior yes yeah i think it it's it's always important to have mission statements and purpose statements and uh i, I am a a firm advocate of those things. They're, they're extraordinarily powerful, but there's nothing quite like a number that's objective. There's no subjectivity to it. It's everybody can get their heart and mind around and then they can attach to it. The agreed upon mission mission statement and, and the way we verbally articulate what it is we're after. But what's even more powerful is they can bring to it their own unique passions, their own unique talents. And I think that's important. So, you know, a number is a common ground and it, it, it's not controversial. It's just, this is the number. This is what we're after. It's simple. It doesn't take a, a complicated scoreboard or, uh, you know, a screen or a bunch of that data tracking, 
It's just this is how many active members we want to have. And and 500 is a real powerful one. But everybody can get behind it and everybody can can focus on it and everybody can keep score. Is that what you're you're experiencing or do you have anything else to add to that? Yeah. And I would only say it's it's easier to uh, celebrate the small victories when it's a number. You know, the, yes. the day the day is over, classes were packed, we were rocking and rolling, and we all get to celebrate the fact that we got three new students, you know, versus something that's pretty subjective, like we had a good day or something like that. Medium. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah I love it. I love the idea of, uh, of, of building the, uh, the efforts and the focus and the coordination of the team which of course includes not just the staff, but every student and every family member, uh, you know, that the, everyone in the community who's involved in the success of the school, it's, uh, it's just great for them to be able to see that you're moving closer to the goal, that it's, it's tangible and uh, you can articulate it. It's simple. And we're either moving closer to it or we're moving further away and in both instances, it has value because if we're moving toward it, we keep doing what we're doing. But if we're moving away from it, we know we have to make some serious adjustments. Right. So, so we were talking earlier about uh, the culture of your school and how you started out and, uh, and, and the fact that you've remained true to your mission to the to the to the culture beyond just the numbers so paradoxically let's talk about that let's talk about that because people say like well if it's just a number it's not just a number it's not just a number but the number is crucial but tell me what you want that number to represent what's your school going to be like for someone walking in and experiencing it for say the first 30 60 90 100 days Yeah. So I want, like you said, it's not just the number, but the number is of course important because like a bigger number just indicates there's more people participating in this, this like engine that we have. Right. And and it's this engine of like profound personal transformation, which is, you know, McHugh jujitsu. That's what, that's what we offer. And, you know, if we're going to talk nuts and bolts, like what I want, we left off last episode with the enrollment process. So somebody, let's just say that somebody just got started training at my school. What's it going to look like now? Now it's, and this may be for lack of a better term, I want them to assimilate into our culture as soon as possible, Mm -hmm. right? As soon as possible. And here's the thing, man, like it's, your culture can't happen by accident. If, if you're haphazardly allowing your culture of, of your school, like as you grow to just unfold in any which way it wants, I, I think there's just no way it's going to end well. It's going to, you know, get, get out of hand. And before we talk about what culture should look like, I think we should talk about what it should not look like. Perfect. Right. Right. So it's pretty easy in a jujitsu school to talk about an unhealthy culture. Right. So what you've been around a lot longer than me. What do you, what do you think is an unhealthy jujitsu school culture? What would that look like? Well, I'll tell you some things that I think are, are dysfunctional. You know, I'll give you some, you know, I find personally, I find them to be dysfunctional uh, and delusional. It's uh, the idea that you're going to indulge people. 
I want to I want to be careful in how I say this because I don't want to ruffle too many feathers. But um, like, leave me out of your fantasy. I I don't want to be part of your your fantasy, and I don't I don't want to rope you into mine. Like my bizarre delusional fantasy of this is a theme park, and it's my make believe octagon. Like I even though it's rectangular or square and if there is a cage it's like a piece of a fence um more often than not a decoration more often than not a prop and that we're going to kind of play make-believe ultimate fighter yeah um i i just think it's dysfunctional now let me make myself very very clear before i end up getting my jaw wired there are lots of guys who have a cage in their school and their school is going to effectively prepare people for that outcome. It's legit. That's really the direction that it's going. It's a, it's a, a competitive school with a successful curriculum and a strong stable of amateur and perhaps professional fighters. Uh, I have the utmost admiration and respect for that. Because that is what that is. What I don't like is the make-believe version. I don't like the, you know, let's let's pretend that that this is that. And uh, look, if you're going to have a Nerf war, that's great. If you're going to play paintball, that's great. But don't don't confuse it with, you know, legitimate military training. And to the same degree, don't don't confuse, uh, you know, make believe. Let's let's work out in a cage. Let's do aerobics in a cage, and call it MMA. I, I just don't think that's a good idea. I think that your your purpose and the the utility of your program, what it's actually designed for, it, it's best to present it in that way. Because if you don't, you're you're creating tremendous confusion and chaos, and there's enough of that already. What we're trying to do is turn the confusion and chaos into order. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I, I just want to point out, because I, I know a few people listening to this, like our friends of mine who are just starting their schools or, or, or like in their first couple of years. Yeah. Look, I was there and it's so important to understand like your identity, to really put a lot of thought into what you want your school to look like at different stages, right? You want to think about what what do I want the first year to look like, like on the mats, culturally, in the lobby? What do I want it to look like at the five-year mark when we're at 250 students? And what do I want it to look like at the 10-year mark? Like, how can I position this, like the culture of my school, so that in 10 years, I'm going to have 20 black belts? down the line for me mm-hmm. and then i want you to think how exhausting it would be to live a lie right which is maybe a little oversimplified but it, that's what you're talking about the thought yes. of, if i were to put a cage in my school right now and I, i'll tell you honestly i've had some students come up who who had what it takes to fight in the cage and sure do you know what i did with them you send them to a place where it's much more appropriate for that path that's exactly. that's what i do i mean that's I could think of somebody who had those aspirations and uh, I could not accommodate those aspirations. So 
I felt a moral obligation to send this particular individual to what I consider to be the most appropriate and the most highly qualified uh, person and academy to prepare uh, this guy for competition in a cage. And that was you. And I, and I sent you to Professor Almeida. And you couldn't have been in better hands. You went to the right place. And, and I, I value that kind of environment. The, the, the easy thing to do is to misinterpret what we're saying as a criticism of a competition school. Absolutely. And I'm not, I am not criticizing a competition school. I have, I have the utmost admiration for it. But I, have, I do have to say I have a lot of disdain for the recreation level program that positions itself as this is the place to prepare for uh for your debut in the octagon right right so, and so in that same vein i i you know you're talking about respect like you know i come from a traditional martial arts background from your school and and maybe that makes it easier for me to to see the value in all their schools that are not jujitsu mm-hmm. and it's pretty, you know, it's clear that a lot of jujitsu guys who are just jujitsu guys, they like to scoff at traditional martial arts in some yes. cases. But yes. but I, I have nothing but respect for, you know, the karate school down the street from me that they've got 350, 400 students and they're not parading around like they're a fight club. They don't try to convince their students that they're the next wonder boy, Stephen Thompson. Yes. But, they're very clear on what their identity, they know their identity and they're very yeah. good at, at conveying that to the community. You know, we're here for self-improvement. Martial arts is a great vehicle for that. And we've got a good program. Yes. So this identity crises, which, which can occur, it, it has a negative effect, not only on the, not only the person who's pursuing something specific that they end up not getting, I think it has a detrimental effect on the the leadership, whoever's whoever's operating the program. That if they they're not able to come up with the the actual purpose of their program, what it what it's based on and what it's built for, uh, it, it it creates a tremendous amount of failure and frustration. It's very very hard to hit a goal if you don't know what the goal is. So if it's if it's this chameleon like always shifting, always changing, always different um in a, in accordance with trends for example, very very hard to get to a level where you can, you know, really really say uh you know, I've accomplished something. I've right. achieved something. I've 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 met my objective. Why is it do you feel so, you know, you seem to always have a deep sense of satisfaction in your progress? Like, can you, can you explain why you have that clear sense in my progress as a school owner? Yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah, because, because I've been honest with myself from day one and I sat down with a pen and a pad, you know, metaphorically on day mm-hmm. one. And I had this vision of what I wanted my tribe to look like and what I want my, even down to what I wanted my facility to look like. Mm. And seven plus years later, it's almost identical to the vision. It's very satisfying. It's like I I set and achieved a goal with myself. I made a promise to myself and I didn't waver. And 
Like, I know that, you know, you don't like when we talk too personally, I guess, but like, you know, I got to use some, some examples for myself. It's, it's very easy for me to almost get caught up in the uh, siren song song of like the competitive school because uh-huh. in the jujitsu world right now, there are all these high profile events. It's every weekend. There's like a sub only and it's being broadcast on, on UFC TV and on fight pass. And it, it'd be pretty easy for me at this point to develop like a pretty solid team and gain some notoriety. Right. Yes. Yes. But almost 100% guaranteed at the detriment of my tribe. Mm-hmm. At the detriment of the culture of my school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, I just want to I want to be very clear. I, it's fulfilling to to hit these goals because I've done it true to myself. But it doesn't mean that it's been an easy walk. Like believe me, I want to get pulled off the path and go after like the 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 newest trend all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's attractive, in other words. It, it is. Goes, yeah. 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 So what is it that what is it that keeps you on track? just taking a step back and seeing what the school has done for the students, trying to take a, like a trip down memory lane to 2014 when I first opened my school. And then more importantly, really is, is looking down the road, like 10 years. I think, I think, I think you definitely need to take a step back, but equally, if not more important, you need to take a step forward. Right. You need to not only look back, you need to look ahead and say, you know, um, what's this going to look like a decade from now? What's it going to look like two decades from now? Where is this going? And it's, it's very important to have, you know, you don't have a crystal ball, but it doesn't take much. If you, if you sit down and you, you think and you do the math, it's usually very obvious when, when uh, things are going to lead to a catastrophic outcome, if you well, give it enough time and attention to let me, let me give you this example. I'll give you this Go example because it was powerful for me. It was profound. I'm very lucky that you did hand me off to Ricardo Almeida many moons ago, not only because I got that direct experience under Professor Almeida, which was, of course, world class. But I got I got like injected into the system with all these amazing uh, peers and mentors and senior students. And one of them is. Professor Stephen Bongiorno. He owns mm. South Jersey BJJ, which luckily is it's pretty close to me. And we've got a great relationship. And he, he had a black belt ceremony a few weeks ago and he invited me to attend, you know, I guess to, to lend some credibility, but uh, it, was, it was really just nice for, for him to invite me. But I got to tell you, I walk in and he's only been open for 11 years and he's been a black belt for like 16 years but mm-hmm. he had he, – he awarded like four or five black belts, but he had a lineup of like 15 black belts. Awesome. That he, you know, that he – which, you know, weird terminology, but he grew these people. Like he raised these black belts. Yes. And, and they were all in, eager to be in attendance. They are happy to be there. They're not going anywhere. And yes. that just gave me a snapshot. Like, you know, he's going to be 50 years old. He's 130 pounds. He still mm-hmm. gets to train because he trusts his students and he's created an environment where – you know, they're not going to try to make their name on his back by breaking his back. And mm-hmm. they, they want to be there. They're going to be there for the rest of their lives. And so are their families. And that's what I want. I'd rather that than have, you know, one of my students marquee an event every weekend. Yeah. So a very important question that we always have to ask ourselves is, is, does my present have a future? 
does my present have a future? And everyone's present has a future. But the next question is, what kind of future is my present going to produce? And it doesn't take much. You know, you don't need to be Nostradamus. You don't need a crystal ball. You just need a little bit of an imagination. And it's it's pretty easy to figure out, like, well, if if my present right now involves training that selects people out, that it eliminates people, that it's it's based only on the upper echelon and the elite of the elite, and everyone else is either uh, there to facilitate the progress of others, they're there to uh, to be a spectator. Or uh, the worst of all is a groupie. You know, you don't want to have a school where there's there's really like 12 students and the rest are groupies. The rest are just kind of there to to witness the experience, to cheerlead, to, you know, to it, it's it's kind of bizarre. But we've both seen this. We've, yeah. we've both we both witnessed this thing where you have an environment where there's a few superstars and everybody else is an extra. Why does that make your skin crawl? I mean, hopefully it makes my skin crawl because I'm altruistic and, and own enough of myself to see how disgusting it is. But I think it's mostly because I've been exposed to guys like you and Ricardo Almeida. And if you're going to talk about somebody who deflects stardom, I don't think anybody's ever done it more than Ricardo. Yes. Right. Like if anybody could have had 350 groupies, it would have been Ricardo, but he did nothing but deflect. And he went, he went as far as totally dismantling his competition team. So to save the culture of his school, which for, for a legend in the fight world to do is it just speaks volume. So, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I've learned from literally the best. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's, it's gross. It's just, it's gross. Yeah, it makes my skin crawl. But so, so let's now, if that's the, like, let's call it for, you know, let's call it the ideology. Yes. So if we're looking for an environment where everyone benefits, where, you know, it's not a bunch of groupies there to support a few people who are considered elite for the time being, but it's a, a program where everybody is setting and more importantly, achieving goals. Uh, how does the program itself facilitate that? Like, what are you doing to make sure that it's all well and good that that's your intention, but what are you doing with your program to make sure that you're able to actualize it? Yeah. So again, this, this applies to me, but it it doesn't have to look this way. You just, you got to be clear on like your avatar, right? Like who do you want to serve with your program? And then of course, we all have several avatars, right? You don't just have the 30-year-old the IT guy. You got several. But from the time somebody walks into your academy to the time they step onto the mat to the time they go out to their car, you've got to design every, every step in that process to facilitate their learning, to, to make them welcome in the academy. So mm-hmm. for me, that looks like this. For me, that looks like I've got a very clean and orderly lobby, right? There's, there's no uh, posters of me punching somebody in the face on the wall it's very uh you know family friendly and welcoming it smells nice it looks good everybody's wearing the same uniform nobody's you know jumping out nobody's standing out 
Um, everybody's conducting themselves in, in a respectful way. Nobody's shouting. It's, uh, it's not, I mean, it's always going to be an intimidating atmosphere just because it's the unknown, but it's not scary. Right. Uh-huh. I'm not, it's... I'm not conveying the idea that it's a fight club because it is not. So you're not, you're not overcompensating. You're not trying to make it more terrifying than it already is. It's all, it's already terrifying enough. Is that, is that my under? that's my understanding. At least yeah, that's look. my perspective is martial arts is, is intimidating enough. I don't, I don't need to make it more intimidating than it actually is. Yeah. So you're fighting a few battles and it's first and foremost, the unknown. Nobody wants to look foolish, right? Yes. 100%. When somebody's coming in, they're not going to know what to do. And they know that. And that is scary to them. But two, you also, you're fighting the battle of their preconceived notions on, you know, whatever they saw on the internet, whatever they've seen in movies, whatever their friends have told them from their terrible experiences at a place down the road. Like you, so everything that we do from the way that our, our website is, which luckily we work with Abby, which, you know, you hear me say all the time, I couldn't be happier with to my presence on social media, to, um, the way we welcome people with our verbiage and our, our, our smiling faces to the way we hand them off to a senior student who I know is going to make them feel at home. Everything is to lower that barrier of entry and everything is to minimize the intimidation factor. Perfect. And it's not because we're not going to get after it. It's not okay. because we're not going to train hard. It's still a combat sport. It's just it doesn't have to be scary on top of being intimidated. So you're not making it any any more frightening or any more intimidating than it already is. And at the same time, you're doing everything you possibly can to reduce the unnecessary anxiety, apprehension, and fear. You're, you're helping the individual to build their courage and ultimately their confidence so that they're able to overcome those things anyway. So at the same time, you are, you're not, you're not watering anything down. If I understand you correctly, you're not, you're making it as simple as possible or as friendly as possible, but no simpler and no friendlier. Would that be a, an accurate assessment? Yes. Because there, there, there is a limit. There yeah, look, I'm not, we don't, we're not handing out like a warm towel and like a bottle of bubbles when they come mm-hmm. in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't force my staff into a role that would be inauthentic, but they mm-hmm. do need to smile and they do need to be genuinely happy to see a new student. And they mm-hmm. are. And, and again, the curriculum itself is, is inherently challenging. Yes. It is difficult. It is daunting. It is, uh, it is at times, not necessarily excruciatingly painful physically because we can always tap, but it's excruciatingly painful emotionally. Is that fair to say? It's challenging and frustrating. Yeah. And, and because that's already woven into the program itself, we don't need to, we don't need to manufacture or inorganically create a bunch of things to, to have people experience those difficulties. It's already in the curriculum. Right. And, and, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about the identity and the culture of your school today. So for us, the way that we manage that, the way we like mitigate some of that is we tell some lighthearted jokes. Uh Uh, We we have like a lot of interaction between students and class. Uh, We are very structured. Like there, there are pretty tight confines, but within that we have a lot of interaction. 
Uh, I also want to point out there are other ways you can do that. You can be super stoic. You can really lean into the fact that it's incredibly challenging and you make it very, very traditional and very, very stiff. And there's value in that too, if that's what you want the identity of your school to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if it's not, don't do it. Don't do it. And if it is, do it. You got to know who you, you got to know what you want your school to look like now. So we're talking about the, the actual experience, right? What it looks like when you walk into my lobby, what it looks like when you talk to a staff member, everybody's wearing the same gi. And we're talking about all these things, these very small nuanced but very crucial steps to welcoming somebody. And we're talking about how we're lowering the barrier of entry. But at the same exact time, we're doing that to make somebody feel more welcome, but we're also getting them to row the boat culturally in the right direction. Yes. Right. So, so go ahead. So, you know, I talk a lot about having to manage the culture of my school. It's already happening. It's already wow. happening. Right. So they just walked in. They're about to put on their gi for the first time. What they're already taking social cues from the people around them. Like they're already because starting they're, to assimilate to the culture because they're immersed in it. Yes. OK. OK. So we're not trying to explain to them that that we're not we're not trying to talk somebody into behaving a certain way in an environment that's a complete contradiction with those expectations right like it's i can that, send them home with a dojo etiquette list you can send yeah. them home with like the guidebook but yeah. what's what's going to be more what's going to uh modify their behavior the most the environment yes they're gonna they're gonna so rather than talking them into how to behave, what their attitude, behavior and conduct should be, they're actually experiencing it because because everyone who's already there is behaving themselves in those ways. Yes. And they and they simply need to assimilate, especially the instructors. So if I want to make sure everybody has a rash guard on under their gi, like I better have a rash guard under my gi. Mm-hmm. If I want people to smell nice, I better smell nice. If I want Excellent. my staff to be clean shaven and, and well kept, I better have a haircut. So these things are powerful because sometimes we fall into the trap of not doing those things, which is a mistake. And then to add insult to injury, we try to telepathically enforce expectations that we're not demonstrating. And the interesting thing is, if we just demonstrate those behaviors, if we just exemplify those things, we don't have to write them down or communicate them telepathically. They're being observed constantly and people do want to fit in. Is that is that make sense to you? Yes. But if if we're not doing any of those things, we can talk until we're blue in the face and trying to get other other people to measure up to a culture and a standard. That is not yet present. Yeah, and it, just made, it just, it just makes you a hypocrite. It makes you a hypocrite yeah. and you yeah. lose credibility with your students. Yes. Yes. So speak. Can you speak to this idea as, um, I, you know, most pro, not most programs, I would say some programs are built around um, addressing the wants, the needs, dare I say, selfishness of a select handful of let's say elite athletes or, you know, people in a martial arts context 
who for all intents and purposes can already protect themselves <clears throat> to the detriment of, of a tremendous number of other people who desperately need to develop some skills that they don't yet have to cultivate some competencies. But it's the program revolves around the people who have already arrived. Um, that's obvious. But what's not so obvious is, is what are you doing to make sure that you're not ignoring the people who can already protect themselves? Like what, why are they sticking around? Because clearly you have uh, a, a good number of very, very competent practitioners who are more than capable of protecting themselves. Why are they sticking around in an environment that admittedly is, is uh, largely created to fulfill the needs of people who desperately need it most? How, how is it that you're able to, to accomplish both goals at the same time? I mean, I, I wish I could take more credit for it, but I, I think that, even if you're like a stud athlete, jujitsu is going to be challenging enough. There's still so much to learn. Mm. And it's also so effective that even if you're, you're partnered up with, I guess we'll say a tomato can, like you're going to be able to get a, a challenging uh, training experience out. But I will say this, the way we teach our classes, I say that we teach to the, new, the newest student. So if I have 30 people in my noon class and we have somebody taking their first class, like we're definitely going to put the brakes on and, and, and teach to that person. But the truth is we teach just ahead of the lowest student, just ahead of the junior student to where they can just reach out and grasp what we're doing. And what mm -hmm. that does, it goes midway between the more senior students to the more junior. So it's, it's kind of satisfying both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and am I correct in saying that you're always focusing on things in class that, that nobody outgrows. Like, is anybody too physically fit? Never, never. Is anybody, you're, you're having like problems with guys who are just too good and they, they've outgrown your program because they're too good? They might have aspirations to do things on a competitive level in other venues. That's an entirely different story. But do you think you ever outgrow jujitsu or any martial art taught properly to where you can no longer benefit from participation never never yeah i think if it's done right you don't outgrow it i think you get to the next level but you don't outgrow it so well so you, you also look that, that that and, and we can do a whole podcast on, on teaching methodology and we will but uh you can't teach apologetically uh -huh. you know what i mean like it so our noon class is more of a mixed group. So, you know, it's people on their lunch break. So I'll have some, some purple and brown belts mixed in with somebody taking their first class. And I would never present it as, all right, guys, Tim's taking his first class. So unfortunately we have to learn mount escapes, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> I'm excited about the mount escape. And, and now my brown belt is too. Like, Hey guys, awesome news. We get to revisit the mount escape. We get, a, get to put a magnifying glass on how to escape the mount. Perfect. Perfect. So, and, and everybody is benefiting from that. Yes. Okay. Okay. What are, what are some other things along those lines that you're doing to not only make it, you want your Academy to be beginner friendly, but you also need it to be staff and senior student friendly. So what are some other things along those lines that you're doing to, to keep that 
going to keep the the upper echelon, the elite within your own academy from realizing that they're benefiting more than they ever have. How does yeah, the well, how's the growth of your school factor into that? Because sometimes you know what happens is is uh, you know the school's gotten so big, I feel like I'm no longer whatever. What are you doing to prevent that phenomenon? Well, first and foremost, I have separate training levels. Like you have to have separate okay. training levels. Okay. Um, that that in itself, uh, it gives you a lot of. A wiggle room, but there's a lot of benefits from doing that. First and foremost, it's a new challenge. It's a new environment. It's exciting for like, you know, for us, it's a blue belt gets to go into to the next level. So that's a whole new world. And they're, they're reinvigorated, they're reborn. Right. Okay. It also allows you to, again, within the framework of the culture you want for your school, it, it allows you to create a separate environment, a very different environment from the, the fundamentals class. Okay. So if I'll be honest with you, I think a continuation I, of though, it's not when you say, it's, it's well, it's a continuation yeah. of, of their jujitsu journey. And it's, it's, it's still an extension of that beginner mindset and, and the, and the culture that we've been talking about so much, it still like works within the, the tenets of my culture, okay. but the energy is different in that class, but my verbiage is slightly different. Um, it's definitely more intense. Okay. But, you know, they've got a, an entire fundamentals curriculum under their belt and new capabilities that they can handle the intensity. And therefore, I think it's more rewarding. So there's an increase mainly in intensity and proficiency. It's yes. not it's not a, it's not really a shift in culture. It's it's intensified. Yeah, the, the, cul the culture doesn't shift. But I'll be honest, like my my delivery changes a little bit. It doesn't become like colloquial. It's not, it's not like I'm, I'm like your buddy now, but we, I operate with the understanding that you made it this far. You're my senior student. You're very, very capable. So let's get after a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And, and, and how do their responsibilities change? How do, how does that factor in? Because that, that's a big one for, you know, you and I talk about this a lot, but yeah, it's uh very important for me to make sure that as people uh, ascend in rank, that their responsibilities and their, their embracing of those responsibilities is they're going to increase as well. What are you doing to, to keep that alive and well? Yeah. Well, first we're very, very vocal about it. We're very vocal. Even, even like my seven-year-olds can tell you that we line up yeah in order of rank, but it's more in order of responsibility and we pull the line. So my senior students will be working with the more junior students. Um, they know the culture of our school is such that you're there to help, to serve, to make sure that that junior student has, has a very uh, powerful experience that you're not there to beat them up. Um, I do expect better technique out of them. I do expect more effort out of them. I do expect them to be um, better representatives of the academy outside the school. There's a and lot that take, goes into it. They take those responsibilities very seriously. Yeah, look, anybody who, you know, I got a Jordan Peterson book right here, and it's what meaning is found in adopting personal responsibility, shouldering as so, much responsibility as you can. So people aren't insulted by it they're they're complimented by it no. so there's there's i've 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 experienced situations where uh there's a fear 
of burdening customers with uh, with responsibilities that they're there because they're the customer and they're paying you. Um, the idea is that the longer they've been a customer, their customer customer loyalty has earned them uh, certain perks, certain privileges. They're not afforded to those customers that have not proven themselves worthy. Yeah, how many uh, how, how many customers do you have right now? Zero. I've I've never had any. I don't want any. Uh, I have classmates. We're all students. We train together. <clears throat> I happen to be in the 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 leadership position because I have the most time in. I've been doing this wrong the longest, and because I've been doing martial arts wrong the longest, and I've probably made the most mistakes. It affords me a perspective that the other guys don't yet have. But because of that, I have a responsibility to let them know where, where the quicksand is. Where are the potholes? What are the success paths, success paths and where are the failure paths? But I'm in a capacity of service and in no way, shape or form do I see my, my classmates and my students as customers or consumers uh, they're there to they're there to produce, they're there to create, they're there to build something, and I find that they believe it to be condescending to be treated otherwise. So if I treat them like customers, it doesn't last very long. I think I would imagine. I've never done it, but I can only imagine how I would be made to feel if my teacher treated me like a customer if i was if i was if i was taking art lessons learning how to paint i wouldn't want my instructor to treat me like a customer i would want my art teacher to treat me like a student like a fellow artist like somebody who's on the same path but not quite as far along and what i would want is to be afforded the responsibilities that go along with my, my experience. And I'll take one step further and say, like, if, if you don't afford me those responsibilities, I'm going to take them. And, and I, I, might, I might be running an art school of my very own next door to yours because I'm going to take responsibility. If you don't, if you don't encourage me to embrace it, ultimately I'm going to take it. Now, are there a significant enough number of people who won't? Sure. Sure. There are a lot of people who would prefer to be irresponsible and just be a customer. And you can build a business around that, but you can't build a martial arts school around that. You just can't. Cannot be done. You can only build a martial arts school around a culture of personal responsibility. So go, go a little bit further with that in, in, in what you've accomplished. Yeah. I mean, from, from day one, I've been very vocal about the fact that everyone plays a role in the Academy. And like what you, you said, you, but you've been, you've been more than vocal. You've been more than vocal. You've, you've exemplified it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, of course, it started with me on day one. And I can't tell you in those first six months how many classes I ended with the speech, like the culture speech. And it served us very well because 
yeah, I, I have to embody it and people are going to follow me a lot more than they're going to listen to me. But we've also had a lot of talks on this podcast where we talk about the importance of your, your diction, of your verbiage, of your word choice, how the way you, are, you articulate your, your principles. And then the good thing about that is when we articulate it, like I call these people in my first like four months of opening up, I call them my OGs, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a kid of the 80s and 90s. What, so, is that, what does that stand for for those of us who are kids of the 70s? OGs? Yes. OGs, original gangster. Okay. Okay. Those are my OGs. And, okay. you know, they, they hold a very uh, a, a strong position of prestige within the academy. Uh-huh. And we refer to them constantly and we hold them in high regard. But guess who serves our community the most? The OGs. The OGs. And the thing is, when we started to transition from a fledgling school in those first six months to some substantial growth in the next sixth, though those end of the, the class talks turned into how do we protect and guard and nurture the, the culture of our school? This beautiful thing that we've just built, how do we protect it moving forward? And I told them from day one, and I continue to tell my senior students all the time is there's only one of me, right? And my interactions with all these students are limited, but luckily I have you guys and, and influence like disseminates through the ranks. And that's something that they hold on to and they understand that, yeah, there's a lot of responsibility and yeah, some people like to shirk responsibility and hide from it, but I don't, most people thrive with responsibility. Most people like love having more responsibility. Yeah. Even if they don't appreciate it up front, they always appreciate it in its aftermath. So sometimes people embrace it reluctantly, but they thank you for it. So it, well, well, look, there's, there's different ways because if somebody, if somebody cowers from responsibility, it might be because they misunderstand what you're asking of them. And they might be thinking, Oh man, I don't, I'm not a very vocal guy. I don't want to have to like welcome new students and like show them how to put on. That's just not me. And, you know, I don't, I don't really want to have to talk to people a lot. I just want to come here and do my thing. Right. You, you can play that role, but when you're doing your thing, quote unquote, do it within the confines of the culture that we've created. Do it in such a way that while you're doing your thing, you're also uh, nurturing this junior student that you're helping them along their journey. Yes, your your intention is to grow and to help others grow. Your intention is not is not to grow at the detriment of other people. That's Look, a, and, that's and one other thing, sorry to cut you off, but one other other thing that we have to point out is, yes, everybody plays a role in the academy, and there are countless roles, yes. all the way from the top to the bottom. There's another important role that we often leave out, which is, like the jerk, like the bad student, the bad apple, the bad example. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Sometimes sometimes a really good way to show somebody what not to do or like how to do it is show them the, the guy that's doing it the wrong way. Absolutely. You know, that I think the the key to that role is you want it to be transitional. You know, you don't want it to be Yes. Yeah. yeah well, I you, but, you 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 would love to make them one of the good guys, yes. but you you also can't fail to get rid of them if the, if they're not rowing the boat. Well, that's that brings us to, you know, an interesting point is that if you build a strong culture the you know those who are philosophically or ideologically uh in direct opposition of it will select themselves out of it yeah so so it but if it's if it's not powerful they'll manage to stick around so you want to create an environment that's so powerful and so potent 
that uh, the weeding happens on its own. Yeah, and that kind of brings us back to full circle to what we started with, was, which was identity, where if you don't have a, a firm grasp of your identity and what you want the culture to look like within your school, and you do fall victim to the latest trends, and you, and you are quick to accommodate. Accommodate. What yeah. what happens when you accommodate people is when that bad apple kind of emerges, they're not going to select themselves out because you're cow. You'll find yourself cowtowing to them just to keep the quote unquote customer, which we don't have customers. And and herein lies the distinction between a professional practice and a business. And in a business, we are completely subordinating our decision making to profit. Where in a practice, we subordinate our decisions to the correct principles governing our practice. So, so a big part, one of the most important principles in our practice are classmates, students, members of the school, the dojo, the academy, who are, again, seeking feverishly to make progress, but never at the detriment of others. And the moment someone is trying to make progress at the intentional detriment of others, it will break down even the most powerful of environments if we don't nip it in the bud. And again, if it's powerful, they will start to select themselves out. And if it's really, really powerful, they'll change. Have you seen this happen? I have. So, so that goes back to why I think you said earlier, it's important to have that individual because other people get a lot of benefit. They get a lot of value from observing that transformation, from seeing a person go from uh, unlikable, undesirable, uh, difficult to get along with, the kind of person who everybody wants to avoid to making a complete turnaround. And that's a transformation that, that I'm sure you get a lot of satisfaction from. You don't make it happen, but the culture that you've helped to create certainly helps it to happen. Right. In conjunction with the training experience, the training effect. Which again, all of those things without a training program to, to facilitate is just not going to work. You could have, you could have the most, uh, lofty ideals of what kind of culture you want to create. But if the training program doesn't facilitate that, it's not going to work, is it? No. Why isn't it going to work? I, I would say I, I'll answer it. I mean, I'll give you my answer and then give me yours. Is Because 95% of the time at least we're training. All these other things that we're talking about, we have to we have to really do a lot of thinking, a lot of planning, a lot of preparing. But there, the execution of all these ideas is occurring while the training is taking place, which is which is better than ninety five percent of the time. If if the class starts at seven o'clock and ends at seven forty five, how many minutes are spent in actual training? About 43. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 46. So, so, uh, so if the training doesn't measure up and it doesn't help to reinforce these ideals, it's not going to work well. 
And in, in your case, with your curriculum, you find that jujitsu, uh, it, it always keeps its promise. Yeah, it's just so powerful. It, it's so hard to hide and to slack off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are, let's go back to the idea of responsibility again, because it's, it's one of our favorite subjects. So, so what happens when, uh, when I'm not willing to live up to what you consider to be uh, an expectation? I'm a student and I'm not measuring up to what your perceptions of my responsibilities need to be. In How do terms you of like, like you're not training the right way, like you're not putting out the effort the right way, or you're not yeah, conducting and, yourself and, and in the proper. I, I think this question kind of throws you because I don't think it happens often. I mean, it, I guess it, it, maybe it does. Now, now, before we were talking about the difference between my programs, my advanced program. Yes. In most cases, I've, I've developed such rapport with, with that senior student. We've been in the trenches together for years at that point where I can literally just have that very candid conversation and just mm-hmm. make a statement. And, and I'll, this is blasphemous. I know to some people, like I'm a big fan and it might be a, a result of, of the dojo I grew up in, but I'm a fan of well-placed public ridicule. And I know uh-huh. that sounds terrible, but it's uh-huh. done tongue in cheek. It's done because I've built that relationship and you got to do it. You got to do it masterfully. But if that's not getting the point across, like the person's just kind of a dullard and they've got a like a, a calcified skull. I'll make the speech at the end of the class with very specific examples without calling that person out. And if that doesn't do it, I'll talk to them personally. Uh-huh. Um, but I, that's what? about it. Like, again, it doesn't happen too often. But I, yeah, have, I get- look, I have had to ask people to leave in the past. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where, there, where culturally there was just – there's it was it was not even close to being a correct fit and they and, weren't well yeah it, it was usually it was, it's not culturally it's more um they're trying to like the every class is their own personal ufc okay but that that is a cultural incongruency yeah, yeah. yeah it was more like their their training etiquette was just not it, yeah it was, it was becoming uh too dangerous for other students and, and it was better for them better for the students and better for you that they seek an environment that's that's consistent with their goals. Yeah, look, and and you kind of hinted at this. It would never be like, hey, man, um, you're an ass and you're hurting people. You got to get out of here. There's a little bit of that. Like, I, I couldn't let the guy go without, some, like, poking a little bit. But it's more, look, I, I get it. Like, you want really, really hard training. Like, you, you're here to get after it and you have lofty goals, of, you know. Yeah, Mr. Kokinos used to tell me to romance them out the door. Yep, there it is. And- and for all the right reasons, because, you know, you, it's not that you don't care about this person. It's not that you're you're indifferent to their future. They have a future. And and I think we have a moral obligation to try to help them get on the path. Right. But let's not confuse it for what it is. So more often than not, it's it's I would say 99 percent of the time. It's not somebody who is actually trying to fight in the UFC. It's just somebody who. They don't have self-control and no matter what tool in your tool belt that you, you try to use in the situation, it's not landing. It's not working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's some confusion and there. Yeah, it's time. It's time to go. It's time we, to go. Yeah. We're not trying to contribute to the chaos. So let's, let's, let's close with some ideas. Like um, 
some food for thought. Like, is your classroom a fun house? Is, is your classroom a haunted house? Is your classroom a playground? Is your classroom a gymnasium? Is your classroom an obstacle course? You know, what kind of classroom do you have? Is it, is it some of each of, the, of those things? Um, you know, what, what kind of, are you teaching a martial art that's also a competitive sport? Are you teaching a martial art that's not a competitive sport? Is the, you know, the, the only reason for your program to prepare people from the to deal with the possibility of a physical assault is very important to understand, uh, you know, what the, the utility or the functional purpose of your program is all about. Is it, is it only to help them optimize their health? These are all questions that the school owner should ask him or herself and be able to answer intelligently. Would you agree? Yeah. Look, a long time ago, one of my dear friends and uh, a training partner, a peer of mine, Chris Matakis, who owns a school. He's a, a very talented black belt, great author. He's got a lot of good books on jujitsu. You should look it up. But uh, we had a good talk one time that really helped change the trajectory of my adult life, which was, he was telling me how important it is to understand what you value. Like you have to take time to really understand fundamentally what you value and what your yeah, virtues are. Why? Because then that value system becomes the filter through which you can make a lot of your life choices and you can protect yourself from a lot of like negative influences. Right. And it's the same way when you're, when you're going about building your academy, you've got to understand first what you value so that you can develop a vision and then you can move forward from there. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, professor, you know, I, I know when you, when you left uh, Rockland County, you left the school better than you found it. I know that when you were at the Satori Academy and, and we're going to be there on Friday seeing Hanchi Kovar, um, I know you left the school you were at better than you found it. Is it an understanding for your students when they move onward and upward, regardless of their future path? Uh, is there an understanding that they should be leaving the academy better than they found it? Well, that's the hope. Yes. All right. Listen, I'm looking forward to our next podcast. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about preparing people for their exams and not only their belt promotions, but how titles factor into a lot of what we talked to today and how the, <clears throat> the title a person could potentially earn in a school is reflective of the unique service they provide to their fellow classmates. Looking forward to it. Okay. I'm going to see you on Friday and um, we're going to record again next week. Can't wait. Thank you, Professor. Enjoy the rest of your day. Take care, guys.